Richard Nixon. Well, I'm not a crook. Ronald Reagan. Tear down this wall. George W. Bush. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And Donald Trump. And a friend of mine for a long time, he uh, only likes politics. If you ask him about how are the Yankees doing, he has no interest. If you ask him almost anything, he likes politics and he's a professional at the highest level. Roger Stone. All of these presidents relied on one man to secure their seat in the Oval Office. That man is Roger Stone. This is the Roger Stone Show on 77 WABC. It was a spectacle uh, this week to see a former president of the United States uh, charged with what I think are thought crimes, a clear case of election interference by charging uh, the former president with uh, using his First Amendment rights to question uh, the honesty and the integrity of the last presidential election. Joining me now to break this incredible moment in American history is David Schoen. David Schoen is a criminal defense attorney uh, who most famously represented President Donald Trump in the second impeachment trial in the U.S. Senate. You've probably seen David on the Laura Ingram show uh, with Sean Hannity, uh, but also on CNN and MSNBC. He has no fear of going into the lion's den. I should point out that David is not a Republican. Uh, he's represented uh, the Democratic Party in some important voting rights cases. Uh, he's in, he has represented other non-Republicans in ballot access questions. Uh, he is, in my mind, probably the most brilliant legal strategist and analyst uh, in the country, and I'm honored to have him join us here on The Roger Stone Show on WABC Radio. David, welcome to The Roger Stone Show. Thank you, but the honor is mine. Thank you very much. So first, uh, tell me uh, your impression of uh, these charges uh, by uh, by uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith. Yeah, it's hard to know where to start, frankly. But uh, I think to sum it up, I would say it's uh, nothing more than a, a very poor political screed uh, with two purposes in mind. One, to get in front of a D.C. jury, uh, knowing the comments that several of the district judges have made about President Trump, knowing the voting history of that uh, venue and so on. And uh, secondly, just to I think this philosophy of, you know, keeping to try to pin Donald Trump down to uh, deflect his energy from the election and so on. I think you're going to see a fourth indictment coming after this one now in Georgia. But um, uh, I'll tell you this. Interesting to me is the it's not surprising there's a polarized reaction to this uh, to this so-called indictment. Um, it's polarized much like the country's polarized on all related questions. But I noticed uh, different a little bit in this case. There's a piece in the New York Times from this week by David Leonard, who's uh, quite an anti-Trumpster. And uh, he said he sort of bemoaned with resignation the idea that, uh, you know, we had our chance in the impeachment trial. We should have convicted him then. We missed. This effort by Jack Smith is truly a novel approach, uh, which I read to mean, and I think he certainly meant, um, you know, less less than well advised. And uh, he said he acknowledges that uh, even experts 
disagree over whether the, the evidence is strong or not strong. Um, the fact that the New York Times would put out such a thing is remarkable. But I think that, you know, if we were to break down the indictment, I'd have a number of specific comments on different theories that they've got. Uh, well, let, let's go ahead and do that. T tell me what you think. Well, let's take, you know, one one of the examples. People constantly focus on this idea that uh, President Trump tried to railroad uh, Vice President Pence into doing something that was clearly illegal and that he clearly didn't have the authority to do and so on. Let me tell you what uh, a voting rights expert and election law expert um, recognized around the country as such said in an interview and certainly not a Trump person, an anti-Trump person. He said for anyone to believe that exactly what the vice president's role is under the Electoral Count Act and that there's no controversy about it, um, absolutely doesn't know what they're talking about. He said uh, the 12th Amendment you know, discusses the issue, but there's a lack of clarity. I'm quoting now. There's a lack of clarity on exactly who does the counting, how it is handled and possible objections. So the idea that, you know, we would charge a crime here that's related to that initiative, that is trying to convince Vice President Pence, if that's what happened, that he shouldn't certify the vote because there are some real questions out there. Um, we don't criminalize that kind of conduct, a disagreement over legal parameters. That, that's one part of it. But in, in terms of the other, there are so many defenses uh, to this, to these charges. Um, I think so what people have to remember first and foremost is every one of the four charges requires an intent to have done something the law forbids. Um, very important. Two are conspiracy charges. Conspiracy is, is a specific intent crime. Two or more people have to have agreed to do something they knew the law forbid. That doesn't apply to anything that happened here. The obstruction charges, one of them is a conspiracy to obstruct, which again has that specific intent. And the other requires what they call a corrupt state of mind, that he corruptly intended to obstruct the official proceeding of getting the votes counted and all of that. At the heart of all of that, then, is what was Donald Trump's state of mind. Anyone who knows Donald Trump, anyone who was around him, knows that he believed, understood, and was firmly committed to the idea based on advice that he got from the experts associated around him that he, was, he and his supporters were the victim of election fraud. Whether one agrees with that or disagrees with that, that was his firm belief, and any actions were based on that firm belief, and it was reinforced to him on a daily basis by data provided by the people hired to investigate it. An investigation is what had to happen if there was some evidence of that that came out, and I'll tell you why I say that. There's an absolute constitutional obligation under Article 2, Section 1 of our Constitution. And if nothing else comes out of this case, uh, I hope something positive does, and that is that people learned to know the Constitution and to love it, because it's very important. We have to return to it at all times. I never go anyplace without it. But Article 2, Section 1 talks about the duties of a president, and in that section, it tells us how a president is elected. That's the original text, tells us how a president is elected. And then there's a clause one of two times it appears that it requires the president to take care that the laws be faithfully executed. And so if a president has information from multiple sources that there's been fraud in the election, improprieties in the election, remember we had COVID regulations in place, all sorts of new procedures for mail-in, different rules for absentee ballots, rules varied among the states. Um, 
Rules, by the way, I'll get to this in a second, but rules about electors vary. Um, and so if he has that information and his constitutional obligation is to take care that the laws be faithfully executed, one could easily argue that he had no choice but to do exactly what he did, and that is get the information and be prepared with alternative electors if the information were correct. But you can be sure President Trump didn't come up with the idea of alternative electors and all of these things that they charge in the in the indictment. This came from experts, from lawyers, legal advice. Um, one has to be uh, understand, again, that there's complete disarray in the laws around the states on how electors are chosen and what their obligation is. I think 29 states plus the District of Columbia, for example, bind electors to vote for the candidate who won by the popular vote in the state. When I say electors, what I mean is, as you well know, um, maybe not all the listeners do, but hopefully they will after this case plays its way out. You know, each state, you don't directly vote for the president. We have the Electoral College. So each state, each political party um, appoints by different methods. There are many different ways they do it among the states. 33 of them, for example, appoint electors based on a party convention. So the Republican Party, Democratic Party has a convention. They choose the electors to represent the voters of that state in the presidential election. And if a Republican candidate wins the presidential election, then the electors from that state in the Electoral College cast their vote for that candidate. Except in 21 states, they're not bound to vote for that candidate. You could have, um, under state law in 21 states, you could have uh, an elector chosen by the Republican Party who says, I'm not going to support that candidate in the Electoral College. So all of these things vary. Um, It's a complete, uh, uh, you know, crapshoot, you might say. But anyway... The point is, the idea that President Trump would have known all the rules and regulations for electors, nonsense. We don't criminalize conduct where it's based on, if it even occurred, where it's based on advice of counsel and differences in views on legal questions that have troubled legal scholars and still continue to trouble them today. So that's kind of overall um, what I have to say about the indictment. Uh, Folks, if you're just tuning in, this is the Roger Stone Show on WABC Radio. You can find us at 770 on the AM dial, uh, or we are always streaming worldwide at WABCRadio.com. We're interviewing David Schoen, criminal defense attorney who represented former President Donald Trump in the second Ukrainian impeachment uh, for a detailed discussion uh, of the events of this past week. David, do you believe, uh, based on your reading of the recent indictment, uh, that this should be immediately challenged uh, as to law and that a motion should be made to dismiss it since the most recent Supreme Court cases seem to require a set a requirement for fraud uh, to have a specific victim? Oh, a- absolutely. I, I just want to uh, correct one speaking fast <laughs> The Ukrainian one was the first uh, impeachment. But, um, I, I stand corrected. Yeah, minor you know this stuff. Um, I uh, yes, no. I, I, there have to be a number of motions, but you've hit one of them right on the head. Um, it's interesting. I had a conversation with Governor McDonnell, former governor of Virginia, earlier today, and uh, you know he was the victim of the abuse of the fraud statute by Jack Smith's team originally. He's one of the classic cases in which, in my view, this Jack Smith, the special counsel now, has shown horrible judgment. John Edwards' case is another one in which the lawyers met with him, showed him 
abundant evidence as to why he should not charge John Edwards uh, with what he did. And he went forward anyway, showing a terrible lack of judgment in the credibility of witnesses and in fundamental prudential principles of prosecution. But yes, here there should be a motion to dismiss based on uh, as a matter of law that the crime charged, even if uh, accepted as true, doesn't fit within what the Supreme Court has said uh, constitutes fraud under the federal statute. Um, I think that, you know, I personally think they have to at least consider a recusal motion. Now, as I mentioned, a number of the judges uh, in this district have made absolutely inappropriate, extraneous comments that you well know about Judge Amy Berman Jackson. Um, in your own experience, uh, went well beyond the pale in making uh, inappropriate comments, uh, politically based comments. But anyway, focusing just on this judge, Judge Chutkin, who has the Trump case now, I have a case before her. It's been pending for a number of years. Uh, I've found her to be very fair. She ruled in my client's uh, favor, originally dismissing the case, and then the Court of Appeals reversed um, after a large firm uh, who also was in the case argued the appeal. Um, and now it's pending before her for three years or more, fully briefed. But I found her to be a fair person. But in, when it comes to Trump, it's like all bets are off. She has made comments. She wrote an opinion, well-known one now, in which she said uh, presidents are not kings and Donald Trump is not a president. Um, but uh, she went beyond that. Uh, that kind of rhetoric, you know, one might say doesn't support recusal. Uh, it's close, but but I think what does is uh, remember the recusal. One of the recusal statutes is based on the appearance of partiality or the appearance of bias or a lack of impartiality. And in sentencing one of the January six defendants, uh, she's made a finding, an express finding, that he didn't do what he did for any reason really other than for one man, uh, his belief that Donald Trump wanted him to do this. I think that's the kind of thing that's got to appear to a fair and reasonable objective observer as someone who's made up her mind about Donald Trump and specifically with respect to the events of January 6th. You know, Roger, one thing I really never understood, and I think it's done such a disservice to this country, I know you've spoken about it, is that all of the rules change when it comes to Donald Trump or anyone associated with him. And so we saw on the Mueller committee, people like Andrew Weissman, uh, Greg Andres on there, people who were just uh, vicious prosecutors. Weissman has made a career out of wanting to see Trump get prosecuted. The American public can't accept the results of any investigation as an investigation when you put people on it who have made up their minds, putting Congressman Thompson as the head of the January 6th committee. Complete sham. This is a man who just before that sued Donald Trump personally, claiming he suffered injuries from the events of January 6th and that Donald Trump was personally responsible. And they named him, Pelosi named him to head up the committee to investigate who was responsible for the events of January 6th and then populated that committee with all Trump haters violating House rules and protocol and so on. Now you put prosecutors on this case on Jack Smith's team in Florida, Karen Gilbert, been exoriated by Judge Gold down there for her misconduct in a case. Um, and you have J.P. Cooney and Molly Gaston, two prosecutors on this new D.C. indictment who engaged in horrible misconduct in the Steve Bannon case. I have a sanctions motion pending against them. And the judge already has said he wants to take up the issue of their misconduct. He's concerned about it and he's concerned that they don't seem concerned about it. So of all of the lawyers available in this country, why is it that the powers that be 
keep choosing people who are avowed Trump haters and are willing to break the rules to get him. How can the American people possibly accept anything that comes out of those kinds of proceedings? Well, the judge in question is a major donor to Barack Obama's presidential campaign. Uh, Her husband is also a major donor to Barack Obama's presidential campaign. Her husband was also elected as a federal judge, uh, as she was after making those donations. Her mother-in-law is also a major donor to Barack Obama's campaign. Uh, I have read public reports that the judge worked at the same law firm uh, as Hunter Biden. That is unconfirmed, but I believe it to be accurate. I've seen it several places on the Internet this morning. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. But, David, uh, a motion to recuse the judge is decided by whom? (laughs) That's the $64 million question. It's decided by her as a matter of first course. Again, there are two ways you can go in. You can go in with this motion um, on a statute providing for recusal where there's the appearance of a lack of impartiality, appearance of partiality. Um, In that case, the uh, motion is heard by the judge uh, subject to recusal. Or you can go in if you can really make a credible showing of actual bias with an affidavit or declaration, and that should be assigned to another judge to consider. Um, I don't think in this case, I, I don't know. Look, I have to look at the record more carefully than I. You've just told me facts that I didn't know about the judge's background and so on. As I say, I know her to be a fair person, but I know her here to have made inappropriate extraneous comments, gratuitous comments about Trump, and I think that ought to provide the basis for the perception. Um, so I, I think that's the more likely motion, and she's going to decide it. But then the next step would be to take that up on a mandamus petition. Uh, you have to do that, or you probably waive it if you wait till the end of the case. You take it up on a mandamus petition to the D.C. Circuit. Um, and, you know, you have to have made sure to lay out a good record of the kinds of comments and why you believe that uh, leads to a perception of bias in this case. Um, but there, look, there are many issues. These lawyers, we haven't seen it in the other indictments so far, I'm sorry to say, They've got to start really advocating zealously for their client with all of the legitimate, good faith bases open to them. Um, You know, one of the other things, and I'm sorry to skip ahead and you can stop me, but um, one of the other things I'm very troubled by in this case, and we've seen it in the other cases, is we have, again, a speaking indictment, long indictment here, detailed purported facts from witnesses who have never had their credibility challenged in any meaningful forum. There's nobody at the grand jury to cross-examine them, for example. And so we have their self-serving comments. We don't know their motivations. Many of them are certainly self-preservation motivations laid out in detail for the public to see now distributed around the world forever. And you're going to have the prosecution come in, I can guarantee you, with a motion for protective order demanding that there not be public comments on the indictment. They'll cite the local rules in D.C., which are very, uh, very stringent on commenting publicly, I would suggest to the uh, possible First Amendment infringement violation extent. But so Donald Trump is left 
unable to comment once a protective order providing such a thing is put into place, and the world sees just these unproven allegations against him forever until the time of the trial and during an election period. That's very unfair. I don't think there should be a protective order in this case, certainly not one that provides for that. If they have certain uh, protected materials, bank records, Social Security numbers, sure, those should be under a protective order. Otherwise, it's a matter of great public interest. The public and the media deserve full access to this and to the, the uh, points of view of all of the parties in this case. Uh, the the D.C. district, as I recall, is the only district court or maybe one of the few where not only uh, the defendant can be gagged, but the attorneys who represent him can also be gagged. Therefore, they would not be allowed to comment about any matter pertaining to the trial uh, under those circumstances. I would hope that that doesn't happen. But I learned the hard way that in the District of Columbia, the Constitution, the law, the rules the evidence, sadly, in a trial this politicized, none of those things matter. Now, Special Counsel Jack Smith uh, named uh, five of six other defendants, but he did not charge them, charging President Trump alone, based on what I have read, for the purposes of expediting the president's trial, fearing that he, if he charged uh, six other co-defendants, I guess in this case co-conspirators, based on his allegation, uh, that the that that might slow down the speed of the trial. Is that does that not make it obvious that the effort here is to hold this trial prior to the 2024 election, and therefore these charges in of themselves are election interference? Yeah, listen, I, I do think that a main reason he didn't charge the unindicted co-conspirators, was to expedite the matter. On the other hand, I also think it's the high, it highlights the fact that this is all about get Trump. You can look at any of these indictments. Look at the superseding indictment in Florida. You've alleged you know, down there that certain uh, statements were made, certain efforts were made um, that the government claims are illegal, not by Donald Trump, but by others. But only Donald Trump is charged with uh, directing those things to be done. That's unheard of. You don't leave out the actor. Um, and so here, you know, the people they're talking about, if you believe a crime was committed here, uh, and I don't, but if the government, uh, Jack Smith, believes a crime was committed here, then why wouldn't you charge the people who actually would have done the acts to commit it, um, those so-called co-conspirators, if you believe their theory of prosecution? So it's clearly about just piling on Donald Trump. And I think it's a philosophy that seems to be backfiring strongly so far that if they pile enough of these cases on him, it will be so distracting, so overwhelming that other Republicans will come out and now say, oh, listen, we can't have this. It's distracting. You must step aside or that finally Donald Trump would give up. And that, that doesn't seem to be in his nature either, because, and, and especially since we see him soaring in the polls, soaring beyond anyone's expectations, um, no matter where you stood. Uh, politically. Um, and so uh, it looks like it's backfiring, but it is extraordinarily unfair. And for them to suggest, I actually saw, ironically, a headline in the New York Times complimenting Jack Smith for the um, expedited nature in which he has moved forward with a complicated case. What on earth are you talking about? You're talking about charging events from two and a half or more years ago. Now, all of a sudden coming up in the middle of an election season, all of a sudden new developments each time evidence comes out about Hunter Biden and his father 
and so on with the laptop. Um, it, it, it just people at some point are going to reach the breaking point and say enough is enough. I'm going to exercise my right at the ballot box. No matter who I like, I'm going to exercise my right to say I will not put up with a government like this. Well, what you say is absolutely right. Uh, I've known Donald Trump for 45 plus years. Uh, his mood is excellent. He is resilient. He is determined. Uh, he's more determined uh, than ever. Uh, he is a, a fighter. I think he's at his best in crisis. He's best on the attack. Uh, he has no qualms about calling out uh, this as naked election interference. The reason they are bringing this case is because it's counterintuitive. Every time they charge him in New York, uh, in uh, in civil cases and a criminal case, uh, in the Mar-a-Lago matter, he actually goes up in the polls. He gets more support. The support that he does have is galvanized, uh, and he... Uh, brings in tens of millions of dollars of small and medium-sized contributions from average Americans. Unlike other candidates running for president in this cycle, he is not depending on a small group of super wealthy bundlers maxing out and getting their wealthy friends to max out. He is truly funded by a, a enormous base of hundreds of thousands of small and medium-sized donors who can give again and again. So I must tell you, uh, he is determined. He is resilient. Uh, he is, uh, he is uh, I think, more charged up. Uh, and he is ready mentally and physically for this fight. Now, the fact that the special counsel uh, named, uh, that said that there would be six other defendants, uh, and over about 24 hours, five of them were clearly identified, but the sixth one, described as a quote-unquote political consultant, uh, was not disclosed, which gave rise to a new Trump haters parlor game of guessing who that person might be. I was myself trending on Twitter for two days as people speculated that it might be me. Let's be very clear. Any claim that I knew in advance about was involved in or condoned any illegal act on January 5th or 6th, or any other date, or at any other place, for that matter, is categorically false. Nor was I involved in any way uh, in the effort to delay the certification of the uh, vote of the Electoral College. I'm not an attorney. I have read legal opinions that say that that uh, that there is a legal basis for that. I've seen the insistence of others that say there is no basis for that, but I am most definitely not uh, number six. And as for the famous war room in the Willard Hotel, the Washington Post reports that at least three sources told them that I was not involved whatsoever in Mayor Giuliani's efforts, uh, and I never was any in any such war room. If that war room even existed... I didn't know about it at the time. Thanks for the opportunity to clear that up. The quote from the New York Times that you very specifically referred to, David, uh, is, uh, quote, the special counsel, Jack Smith, has undertaken two historic investigations with remarkable speed, aggressiveness, <laughs> and apparent indifference to collateral political consequences. This is right, the most... Right. This is the most laughable BS I have ever read in my entire life. They are historic because 
presidents under the 1977 Presidential Records Act can do anything with their records that they wish, including determining what is personal and what belongs to the government. So that's certainly historic because it flies in the face of <laughs> that law and a decision upholding it by none other than Judge Amy Berman Jackson herself, who sat as a judge in my trial but ruled that former President Bill Clinton could do anything with his documents he wanted, including keeping some of them in his sock drawer at home. Uh, but to say that this this prosecution is not political, this is all about politics. Uh, while it took special counsel John Durham five years to reach what the conclusion that many of us already knew, that there was no probable cause, no evidence whatsoever of Russian collusion with the Trump campaign, no collusion between WikiLeaks and the Trump campaign. It took him five years to determine that. Yet Mr. Smith conducts this investigation at lightning speed and wanted in the Marlago documents case to go to a December 2023 trial. Now he wants to streamline the process to get President Trump's trial before the 2024 election. This is what makes this whole thing naked. What is this about? If they could incarcerate Donald Trump, if they could throw him in jail for a 100 years, they would do that. They would like to do that. But what they really want to do is to make sure that his campaign for president is hobbled and that he will be tethered to a courtroom when he's supposed to be out campaigning in early primaries and caucus states and preparing for a Republican National Convention, which is most definitely going to nominate him. Uh, this Times coverage is beyond belief. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, though, the idea of tying him up in a courtroom and so on. And you've got judges who are more than willing, uh, uh, willing to comply with that agenda. But, you know, it's not just cheating Donald Trump. It, it really is treating the, cheating the entire American people. People who love Donald Trump deserve to have him out there speaking on the issues, putting forward their agenda pointing out the differences between his administration and the current administration. And people who hate Donald Trump ought to have that same right and ability. They ought to want to hear his words unvarnished on the campaign trail without these kinds of distractions. There's nothing in any of these four cases that should have been brought as a criminal case. You can break any one. I say four because I think the Georgia case is going to come because, again, you have a prosecutor running for reelection. She feels she has a constituency in Fulton County that's strongly anti-Trump and so on. So I think you're going to see a fourth one. So all, none of these things should have been brought criminally. They wouldn't be, have been brought against other people. But um, I got to back up one thing, one second, because I wanted to say something earlier. I'm sure all of your listeners know this, but there is no one on the planet that understands and knows and can advise on election, politics, strategy, uh, et cetera, uh, uh, more than Roger Stone. You are the master in the field. And so when you read the tea leaves, so to speak, about trends and so on, everybody better listen. Uh, David, I appreciate that. I predict right now that Donald Trump is going to go up sharply in the polls, that he's going to take in tens of millions of dollars in new contributions and contributions from those who haven't given previously. Uh, this is counterintuitive. Normally, when a candidate for a public office is indicted in any kind of matter, uh, they implode. In this case, that which does not kill Donald Trump only makes him much stronger. Final question, David. Uh, Kyle Cheney, who is the political reporter for Politico, uh, posted on Twitter last night, I just left the courtroom where Trump was arraigned. 
the most interesting part. Several of the federal judges of the district court filled the back row, including Chief Judge James Boesberg, uh, Judge Amy Berman Jackson, and Judge Randy Moss. Uh, David, is this not unusual? Absolutely unusual. I've never heard of it. I've been doing this for a long time. I don't like the optic at all. If it's intended, you know, this is the magistrate judge who did the arraignment yesterday, not Judge Chutkin, district judge, but it was intended to be a show of force or to send some message about what the court's going to take and not take. I think it's completely inappropriate. You can't have it both ways. You can't have it. We're going to treat this like any other proceeding and call a president of the United States, Mr. Trump, but then have other federal judges from this district, including uh, judges who have made horrible, extraneous, inappropriate comments about the defendant sitting in the courtroom. It's intimidating. It's intended to intimidate. I don't think Donald Trump was intimidated by it at all. But uh, I I worry about it. And I worry about it, quite frankly, given sort of the stature. uh, I mean, I hate to say this, but the stature, he needs to have a strong legal team. Let me put it that way. It's going to be willing to stand up to all kinds of pressure that they're going to face and zealously advocate for their client, both in the papers, with motions, and in court. All right. Unfortunately, we have to leave it there. Uh, Thank you very much for David Show. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.